Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. And in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, as well as many other Eastern Rite calendars, we are entering into what the Latin Rite would call the Advent season. But actually for us, it's called the season of the Philip's Fast. That's because tomorrow evening, at the end of the day of St. Philip the Apostle, just happens to be a coincidence, on that day, November 14th, At the end of that day, in the evening, we begin what is actually the fast period, the penitential period, that prepares us for the celebration of the Great Incarnation. In other words, Christmas. We also refer to Christmas in the Eastern churches as the divine condescension, the great kenosis, the great self-emptying, the humility, humiliation of God in a sense, in a good sense. In other words, this invisible, transcendent, magnificent God deigned to lower himself, to become what he created while remaining God. That's the great mystery of the Incarnation. And to prepare for that one great mystery from which everything else comes. Everything else in the created order is a reflection of this one great mystery, this Incarnation. To prepare ourselves for so great a mystery, in the Eastern churches, we normally have a period of self-cleansing, of preparation, of cleaning house, physically, spiritually, on all levels. And that includes, of course, the practice of fasting. Now, in the Eastern churches, there's basically four major fasting periods, and this is one of them. In other words, we have, in a sense, four Lents. That's why we call the one before Easter the Great Lent. Well, this period of Advent for us is called the Philip's Fast, only, as I said, because it happens to fall on the Feast of St. Philip the Apostle, but it really doesn't have anything to do with him personally although we certainly honor St. Philip, (laughs) but the fast begins on the evening of the 14th of November. And it entails basically, well, it kind of like is up to the individual, but basically when I go the traditional route, it's at least an abstinence from meat and dairy products Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very minimal, as well as other kinds of sort of stepping back. You see, in our culture, this Advent time or the so-called Christmas or holiday season, whatever that means, is a time of sort of piling on, of consuming, of taking on more, of getting more. And yes, there is a sharing. There is a certain sense, obviously, of giftedness. But in the Eastern churches, because of this great event, we try to keep ourselves focused on the event by backing away from things, divesting ourselves of things, such as 
indulgences, overindulgences in food. Now, that's a tough order because at this time of year, everybody's out having parties. There's always the office parties, the Christmas party for this organization, Christmas party for that family, for this, for the school, for the church, for everything. Everything you belong to seems to have its own Christmas party that they have to cram in before December 25th. So what happens is you have all this indulgence happening. There's this sort of like this skyrocketing to this one goal, this one day of Christmas. And after that, we sort of fall off the edge. We kind of go cold turkey. Little wonder there's so much, oftentimes, sadness or kind of an emptiness in our stomach and our heart after December 25th. But not so if we observe this time with the rhythm of the church, both East and West, and even the Western church for Western Christians, Latin Rite Catholics. Advent is also a penitential season, although it's not emphasized as much in terms of the penitential element. But nonetheless, for those of you who are the Latin Rite Church, you notice that you wear the color purple. You use the color purple in liturgy. The purple candles on the Advent wreath and so on. This purple actually has the same significance as purple or dark colors such as red, black, or purple in the Eastern churches, and that is penance. So both East and West, the origins of this preparatory time before Christmas, both East and West, it was a time of divesting, of stepping back, of cleansing, of penance. Now, it is a kind of a joyful kind of penance. There's a certain anticipation because of the joy of the Messiah that is to happen. But nonetheless, still, we cannot lose sight of the penitential dimension because that's how we prepare for something. We sort of prepare for the guest that is coming. We're preparing the wedding for the coming of the bridegroom. And so we fast, not only from foods, but from a lot of things that our culture tells us to indulge in at this time. We actually step back from the sweets and the, the foods and the indulgences, the consumerism. That will come later. We'll party later, not to overindulge, but we'll party appropriately once the Messiah is here. But before that, you wait. Joyfully, yes, but you prepare. Do you ever have somebody coming to your home, a very special guest, someone you were really happy was going to come to your home? You wait, Maybe you waited a long time for them. You had plans, you were hoping, you kept telling each other, well, we'll get together, we'll get together. Yeah, someday, someday. And finally, that someday is going to happen. Well, you go about preparing your home and your lives, your schedules and so on, with a certain sense of joy. But at the same time, what are you doing? You're cleaning house, right? You're working. You're divesting yourself of things. You have to exercise certain disciplines. You have to say, well, I'm not going to go out tonight or do this or that because I have to prepare for our guests. So yes, it takes a certain self-discipline and it takes a sort of a cleaning house, but there's an underlying joy to it. So it's kind of a both and experience, both joyful and penitential at the same time, discipline at the same time, ascetical at the same time. So it's a very rich time, and during this time, we have many rich moments, such as today, this Sunday, November 13th, is the feast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar for St. John Chrysostom, which comes just before the feast of St. Philip. And St. John Chrysostom, of course, was a great, great doctor of the church, a great father of the Eastern Church, actually the father of the church East and West, and in fact, the liturgy that we celebrate most often in our Byzantine church is a liturgy named after St. John Chrysostom. That's because he had a lot to do with its, shall we say, editing or its composition. He didn't invent or write the liturgy, but he had a lot to do with the composition of the anaphora, or what would be called in the Western Church the Eucharistic prayer. And so these beautiful prayers by St. John Chrysostom, they're long, they're meaningful, 
are attributed to him. That's why we call it the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Great orator. Chrysostom means the golden mouth because he was such a great preacher, great orator. And back in those days, we're talking about the fourth century, and even some centuries after that, it was not unusual for a homily to go on for an hour or two hours. In fact, if there were other priests there, a lot of times they get up there and they kept preaching as well. It's almost like everybody got in on the, on the event. And I guess church kind of went all day. Well, they didn't have all the things that we do. They'd have to run home for a football game or to watch TV or get on the internet or something. There weren't so many organized sports and things that we had to do, all this busyness. Church and the life of the church was it, was basically the major thing. And people could listen to John Chrysostom all day long. So we have his feast day. We also have the feast of St. Matthew the Apostle and Evangelist. That's coming up on the 16th of November. And then later on, as we go through this Advent season, we have other highlights, such as on November 21st, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have the feast of the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. That feast goes back a long time. It's not practiced so much in the Western churches, but in the Eastern lung of the church, it's still a very big feast day, entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. It comes from a traditional story, but as always in the church, stories that are traditional are passed down through sacred tradition, that's with a capital T, tradition. These things are observed and preserved, especially in the Eastern churches, first of all, because of their antiquity. We believe that if people have been observing these things for centuries, such as this feast of the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple on November 21st, we believe that if they've been observing these things for centuries, there must be something to it. And the second thing is, we look at the meaning of the feast. There's always an underlying, a kind of a mystical or hidden agenda to everything we do in the Eastern churches. So there's a story of the Virgin Mary being brought to the temple at age three, where she will live there. She will actually be raised in the temple because she herself would be the mystical, the human temple, the tabernacle of the living God. So it was appropriate that she literally was raised in a church, in a temple. Now, what do we know about that factually, whatever? Is, it, is that event in the scripture? No. But think of the significance of it, especially in light of our preparation for Christmas. It's all part of God's preparatory process for the coming of the Messiah. It's all part of revelation. It would make sense that there'd be some truth or certainly a theological significance to this event this tradition that the mother of God was brought into the temple to be prepared to become herself the temple of the living God. It's a beautiful feast day. And so in the church, and certainly in the Eastern churches, some of these feast days are based upon sacred tradition or traditional stories, but they're preserved and lived out in our church because of their underlying theological significance, which in turn has a relevancy for us. See, it's always about the message what are we supposed to take from this? How does this affect our lives? Well, feast days like this and this whole season of the Philip's Fast tells us, reminds us, draws us into our own personal preparation. We celebrate this feast of the Mother of God and we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm supposed to be a temple of the living God too. In fact, the Bible says that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Eucharist and we become literally living tabernacles so we too are called to prepare ourselves spiritually to receive into ourselves, just like the Virgin Mary did, this newborn Messiah, the coming of the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. Well, we also have during this time 
other beautiful feast days like the Feast of St. Nicholas. So we'll be talking more about these things in detail. We've got the what we call the maternity of Holy Anna. In other words, the mother of the mother of God. That's one way of saying the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. We also call it the Feast of the Conception of the Mother of God in the womb of St. Anne. Eastern Church is typically always longer, always more elaborate. That The counterpart to that is in the West, the Immaculate Conception. And that happens on December 8th. It used to be on December 9th in the Eastern Churches. Then, of course, there's the feast shared by all of us in America, Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's on our calendar as well. Well, we're going to talk more about this preparatory period for the coming of the Messiah when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Father Thomas Loya invites you to a special Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, November 13th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, where you'll hear the Ecclesia Choir sing the Byzantine Requiem, sung with melodies from the Carpatho-Rusin tradition, and one newly composed Zvat Sanctus, but harmonized with both Eastern and Western sensibilities in mind. The entire work will be sung unaccompanied, the harmonization is by Ecclesia Director Timothy Woods. For ticket information, go to LincolnChamberProductions.org. LincolnChamberProductions.org. For the Ecclesia Choir Concert of the Byzantine Catholic Funeral Rite at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, at 3 p.m. Sunday, November 13th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. Yo, Father Loya wants you to come out and sock hop to the fabulous Neverly Brothers at the Joliet Moose Lodge. And they play everything from Chuck Berry to the Beatles. Hey, I'm talking to you. Not only can you dance, but you can have a sumptuous dinner buffet. Then challenge your memory at the trivia contest and take a chance on a 50-50 raffle. This great time is a fundraiser for Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Get that grill cream and head out to the Joliet Moose Lodge at 25 Springfield Avenue in Joliet. Saturday night, November 12th. Saturday night, November 12th at 6.30. Tickets at the door or on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. ByzantineCatholic.com for a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Saturday night, November 12th. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're talking about the preparatory period in the Eastern churches and to some degree in the Western church for the coming of the Messiah. We're entering into that period Actually, tomorrow evening, that would be November 14th, Monday this year, on the Feast of St. Philip. As that feast ends, we begin in the Eastern churches, many Eastern churches, the Philip's Fast, the penitential period leading up to the celebration of Christmas. 
There's also something else that's come up that I'm proud to share with you. I was reading a news item about the patriarch, the major archbishop of the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church, who we've had on our program, Sviatoslav Sevchuk, his name is. And this is from Zenit, the source, zenit.org. And lo and behold, I'm reading about him. And at the end of the article, it said that the Christmas tree this year for the Vatican will come from the Carpathian Mountain region of Western Ukraine. And proud to say that's where my church comes from. That's where my family heritage comes from. So this year, the Pope will be having a Christmas tree from the Carpathian Mountains where so many Byzantine Catholics come from. My family comes from, my church comes from. Somehow I'm having this vision of the National Lampoon Christmas movie Remember when they bring the tree in the house, they don't know there's a squirrel in it, and all of a sudden the squirrel comes flying out at you? It's one of the funniest scenes of that movie. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, gee, what's going to maybe pop out from that Christmas tree for the Pope coming from the Carpathian Mountains? Hope it's not some KGB agent or something like that. Maybe we can give the Pope a few other gifts, such as our traditional mushroom soup, our babalki and pierogies, and the things that we eat on Christmas Eve. I mean, that can come along with the tree. It'll pop out from the tree like that squirrel in the movie. But So I'm a little bit giddy, I have to admit, about that. I was really tickled when I saw that the Pope's Christmas tree will come from the Carpathian Mountains. And that's the region which is the meeting point, the epicenter of Europe. It's where Ukraine Slovakia, Hungary, all come together. It's a region of what we call the Lower Tatra Mountains. The Tatra Mountains is the main mountain range there, and the lower part of that is called the Carpathian Mountains. That's why the people that area were called the people of Carpathorus or Carpathorusins. That's specifically what my personal heritage is. The people of that area centuries ago were called the people of Rus or Rusin people, and that's where we get today the word Russian. So the Carpathorusins came from that area, the Carpathian Mountains, and that's where the Christmas tree for the Vatican will come from this year. Now back to the patriarch. I'm also proud to talk about this story, because this is an example of where the Eastern churches, this is a point we always make in our program, that the Eastern churches are always at the epicenter of some of the most significant global events of our time. You cannot separate really the church and culture in many areas of the Eastern churches. And I was proud to read about this new patriarch, this young man, 41 years old, Sviatoslav Sevchuk, his name is, making a statement, a bold statement. And this is from the article from Zenit.org. It says this, dated October 28, 2011. October 28, 2011, Zenit.org. Justice is sorely lacking in Ukraine, according to Patriarch Sadoslav Sevchuk, head of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. His statement came shortly after the controversial trial of former Prime Minister Yulia Tymoshenko, one of the leaders of the 2004 Orange Revolution. In more recent times, she had failed in her bid for the presidency in 2010 and went into opposition. Tymoshenko was accused of misuse of funds during her time in power. Both the United States and the European Union criticized the trial, but she was sentenced to seven years in jail. Quote, Unfortunately, in Ukraine, for many years, people are under investigation, and often innocent people are in prison. People who need our prayers and support, stated the patriarch. We understand that the trial of Yulia Tymoshenko is only the tip of the iceberg. This is an opportunity to draw attention to numerous lawsuits in Ukraine, where the judicial system, which is dependent on the government and focused on indictment, destroys thousands of ordinary people said the patriarch. One of the main values is that the law should protect human dignity, human freedom, and human rights, and that judges should guard the execution of the law, said the patriarch. In the Ukraine, however, the Soviet stereotype is still alive, and the justice system is used as a means to establish one or another dominant force or ideology to excuse the guilty and condemn the innocent. 
Now, Father Constantine, he's the head of the Office of Penitentiary Pastoral Care in Ukraine for the Patriarch's Eparchy. He said this, Our judicial system is as follows. In the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now it's a jaw for a tooth, a head for an eye. This is the kind of system of punishment that exists. It seems that we have a basic principle of justice, revenge. Nobody thinks about how to convert these people to a better life, to give them a chance to mend. According to Father Constantine, there are more than 40,000 people right now in prison. By comparison, in 2004, there were 32,000 people. I have to admit, I was very proud, and you have to understand why I'm proud. In order to understand that, you have to understand the background of this area, where my family came from, my church came from. This is an area that has just recently come out of communism in the 1990s, in which the church was severely oppressed. It was liquidated. People were killed, thrown in prison. They were betrayed, spied upon. Those people over there today still have this fear, this certain sort of paranoia, because for, for decades, they didn't know how to live otherwise. And so, as you heard from the article, sometimes over there in that area, we're talking about Russia, Ukraine, the area that was under Soviet communism for a long time, they don't know any different. They use the same techniques, you know, with the KGB, that spying, that coercion, that false accusation, that the overly severe punishment and injustices. They still use that system because they don't really know any other. Except, of course, if they're part of the church there, where they know compassion, they know real justice. And especially part of the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church there because that's the dominant church in that region. In fact, Ukraine is the one country in which you will find more Byzantine Catholics, you know, Catholics of the Eastern Rite, than you will of the Latin Rite. And for a young patriarch to speak up with that background, knowing that those coercive tactics are still being used, but in a different way, under different disguise, maybe not quite as severely, for him to speak up, I think is a very proud moment for the Eastern churches, for the whole church. I'm certainly proud of him, especially since I met him. He graced our program here, Light of the East, by his presence in an interview. This is exactly what I would hope to see in a young, zealous, idealistic, in a good way, leader who's just not afraid. And this is an example of how the Eastern churches can make a difference in their culture and should make a difference. It's true with the whole church, East and West. Admirably, the current Pope, Benedict XVI, will often speak up and call people out and challenge, and he'll take the hits for it, but he stands firm. Well, this is a case when, proud to say, one of the ranking prelates of the Eastern churches has taken a stand, a bold move, and I am very, very proud of him for that. And we do have to take stands as an Eastern church and as a Western church, but in particular, the Eastern churches. The gifts of the Eastern church are complementary to the gifts of the Western Church. By and large, the Western Church has a perhaps a stronger gift in moving outside of itself and sort of confronting the world, taking the message to the world to the highest levels and to the, the biggest venues. That's the gift of the Western Church. They have the, the structure, the charism to do that. The East has a little bit of a harder time doing that by nature, but they still must do it to make a difference because we have something to offer. We have a deep truth, the truth of the human person, the truth of God, the truth of the mystical, sacramental, liturgical view of life. And so it's urgent that the Eastern churches try to move beyond themselves, and it's always wonderful to see when it does happen. So our prayers, our commendation, our hat is off to Patriarch Shaptoslav Sevchuk at the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Ukraine. And I hope Pope Benedict XVI will enjoy his Christmas tree 
from the land of my ancestors. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>